This is a Maybe You Like It production. To find more productions, including podcasts, radio plays, and stage plays, visit www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Well, this is just something I worked up. Uh, I'll do it for you. Maybe you like it, maybe you don't. Hello, I'm Jake, and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast, the podcast where we take a play or film that has never been staged before or is never likely to be staged again, and we talk about how we stage it. As always, I'm joined by Caleb. I'm just keeping quiet. Uh, oh, I see. A little, a little, Clever. A little foreshadowing there. A little tease. I mean, it's ter- <laughs> terrible podcasting. I hate myself. And you've also made, <laughs> you've also made Cab break the... Uh, Break the guest. Oh, no, rule. am I premature? Um, you are a bit premature, Cab, because today, <laughs> of course, sorry. we are joined by YouTuber, sound designer, creator of our very own theme tune, and in his own words, a really cool dude that does sound. Cav Crossley. Wow. <laughs> you had to add the in his own words just, <laughs> just to throw me in there. <laughs> I'm here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm oh, very Thank you for joining us. It's very excited. Quite, it's quite late in the day considering that you made our. Uh, theme tune that we've only just got you on the show but. well you know i'm a busy guy busy guy I'm, I'm not a busy guy but i'm ready <laughs> i've got my ideas for once i'm prepared so, well cav you picked this week's film um what what have you gone for so i'm a sound guy right so i thought <laughs> if we're gonna pick a film about sound every film has sound so why pick why not pick a film that has hardly any sound so mm. i've gone for um john krasinski's a quiet place yeah yeah so this is 2018 uh yeah like you say directed by john krasinski who's best known for being uh that funny guy in the office Uh, uh, incredible it stars him and his wife emily blunt um and uh, yeah jake rightly made me look up the sound designer for this just before we started uh who is eric ardal um who is is best known probably for the transformers films um and and then the screenplay was by John Krasinski, but also by Brian Woods and Scott Beck, and they came up with the original story for it. I was just reading that the original screenplay um, only had one line of voice dialogue in it. Um, Crazy, huh? And wow. as as it stands, I think it's only twenty five lines. So it's um, yeah, like you said, not a lot of sound, but that's that's something interesting to to get into. Um, so, Cab, why don't you give us a little rundown of the plot? So, right. Even before we get into the plot, you know, they started filming this film after they had their first child. So this I film is all about, it's all about parenthood mm. and how John Krasinski, who plays a character called Lee Abbott, uh, is married to Evelyn Abbott. And they're trying to raise their three kids in a post-apocalyptic world, which is overrun by these monsters. And these monsters um, hunt using impeccable hearing. So if you make a sound, they're likely to catch you they'll come and snatch you up and brutally murder you. I mean, there's, there's not that many deaths in the film, but like they're quite horrific. Mm. And so long story short, if we just run through the, the bish and the bash and the bosh, the story picks up uh, in the opening scene and immediately you're introduced to this, this idea of silence. So there are three kids. They have Regan, who's like the, the old, older daughter, Marcus, who's like the, the young well, the youngest son. And then they also have Bo. Um, but in the very first scene, um, it's Bo running around a grocery store and you get the idea that everyone's just really tense. Everyone's really trying. They're trying to find pills for Marcus 
because I probably got some generic disease at the time. No one knows. At the end of it, Bo gets a toy rocket. And then they're like, no, whoa, stop that. That toy rocket's got batteries and it's going to make noise. And then so the parents say, like, put that down. But then Regan gives it back to the child. And then the child picks up the batteries, plugs them in. Hey, presto, big death. Very sad. Very dramatic. Day 79 of the apocalypse. And it cuts straight to, like, day 479. Like, we're, we've got a year ahead. Long it's it's everyone's developed they've developed these cool things like walking on sand they're all crazy but hey presto evelyn's about to have a baby she's due a baby who how irresponsible of these parents that they're trying to they're trying to like first of all do dirty business in like i don't know how they're going to be quiet doing the dirty business but then how they're expecting to give birth to a child so we see all this scene of this prep and they're like they've built a soundproof box they they're soundproofing an underground room yada 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 and it's all like, all building up to this tense moment where this baby is going to be born um and eventually when it's time to come uh, and give birth to the child um the son is out with the father they're out on like a, a, a fishing trip um and reagan oh a very key point that i probably should have mentioned reagan the daughter she's deaf yeah so you get this really incredible like su- subtlety where anytime she's on screen there's nothing. There's no sound because she's deaf. So you, even though there's no sound, like hardly anything at all, you immediately, everything else gets amplified and just contrasts with it. And it's just fantastic. Long story short, uh, the baby's born. It's really tense. Everyone nearly dies. Uh, but most importantly, at the end, uh, the father sacrifices himself for, to, to help the, the deaf kid survive. Uh, because the deaf kid thinks that her father doesn't love her because she was, you know, she was at fault to, to murder, basically giving back that toy rocket and murdering her own sibling. Um, so all the family were like, hey, we don't really love you, but like they did love her. So, you know, plot twist. Yeah. Uh, and then it turns out that uh, all through, like all through them trying to find the weakness of these, these animals and stuff, um, these monsters, uh, Reagan's sound, sound age, because she's deaf, she has this hearing aid, but it's faulty. And so every time a monster tries to listen really closely, it's like a high frequency dispersion and it bounces back off her hearing aid and hits the monster. And so they get all, you know, like, Whoa, my God, can't deal with this. And at the end she shoves it uh, at, at the radio that they have. And it just, it just amplifies and all the monsters get a bit shook up and the mum she cocks a shotgun. She's ready to shoot everyone up. So yeah, the baby's been born. There's a lot of incredibly tense moments. The other kid survives. The dad dies. Very sad moment. Because obviously they're all speaking in sign language as well. Just wow. And now I'll spoil this, please. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, that's great. Um, The, yeah, the the film, uh, when it came out, so it's quite a a relatively small budget. And this is John Krasinski's directorial debut, obviously. Um, But it did like massive numbers and it's now got a sequel that was meant to be released in March of this year, but it's now been pushed back a year. Coronavirus! (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean... As you're sort of explaining it there, Kev, kind of seeing some of these bigger set pieces that we'll have to handle on stage. And also, um, exactly as you say, there's there's sort of several different elements to the sound design that, that need to be worked around to get it on stage as well. Mm-hmm. Um, shall, shall we start with just getting a, a broad sense of where we would stage this, how we would stage this? Anyone got right. any thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I'm thinking... The more audience members you have, the more likelihood that someone's going to make a damn noise. 
and ruin the thing. But then again, you do need the open space, but I feel like you need the intimacy. I feel like this wouldn't work in a large-scale theatre. Okay. Even though, contradicting, because you need a large-scale theatre for these, you know, sets. There must be workarounds for that. But because so much of the the plot revolves around this deaf child, Mm. there is no way you could have it adapted to have speaking or anything. And how how are you going to have the main communication from the actors to the audience being sign language? How would that how would that happen? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Uh, the one kind of idea jumped out to me, which was just having the audience have some kind of pressure to be silent. And the way I thought about that was perhaps to give Peer pressure every bullying. single yeah well no, basically but to have, <laughs> anyone makes a noise they're have, out well 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 we say so i mean so i mean in general people will do things that they think people won't do things that they think will ruin the performance and um true the thing there's there's a uh, place in israel which i cannot remember the name of that is a kind of uh blind advocacy center where you go in and they make the room completely dark and they make it so that you can't see and you go around and you buy fish and chips and you go and get on a boat and a and a car and it's kind of they try and give you that experience of of, of what it's like of being and blind yeah and if you want Wild. you can put your phone torch on if you want you know you could ruin it if you wanted nobody does nobody does I was just, and so what that kind of led me to think about was this idea of having the audience no matter how big they are, and I'm kind of skipping ahead there because we haven't really answered Caleb's question, but how, no matter how big they are, having them all wearing noise-cancelling headphones, like really good noise-cancelling headphones. Mm, so we almost create what? like a, a silent disco sort of thing where people feel as though even if they do make a noise, that nobody that nobody around them can hear them, right? So A, wow. a we create a sense of intimacy because any noise they do hear is right in their ears. And B... We remove this problem of like, yeah, but if we have 300 people in an audience, they're probably, someone's going to make a noise and cough or something because, because the, the other audience members can't hear them. Uh, so just, just so I understand, so you're saying that we would still play manufactured noise into their ears. Mm. Um, wow. But yeah, okay. So, so I'm saying, I'm saying yeah. basically the actors are, are mic'd up, any noise they make, any noise that we have, any music, any noise we have, any, no- any noise we want the audience to hear from the stage goes straight into their ears straight in their ears everything else is cut out by noise and in some ways that would almost work better I mean yeah the trouble is noise cancelling wouldn't cancel like coughs and stuff like that out entirely but they would less entirely but But, yeah yeah. but no but I, I do like that and I do think that would be really interesting and then you can just mic up all of the actors and you can mic up certain sound effects that are going to happen. Like if something gets dropped or something like that, you can have that ready. And I just think in the main, it allows us to then not worry about the size of the space. Because I think as you said, it needs it. I mean, our settings are basically like, a train track we walk on, a massive wheat field, a wheat silo, yeah, a grain and a silo, house that's scary, with different man. areas. Yeah. And I think having trying to reduce that to an intimate black box space might be quite difficult. Okay. Yeah. Let me propose yeah. a plan B. Because I love the I love the directness of the noise cancelling headphones. They're great. You pop them on, you know, people can people can hear what they need to hear, like precisely on the decibel counter. But I think there's a there's a very specific sense of of depth of space that that noise cancelling headphones give you and for you to get a real a real contrast between we're talking deafness we're talking minimal like no audio feed Mm. and i think the way to do that is instead of well kind of kind of what happens in the film is make a louder sound so instead of having 
plain silence. We would manufacture these soundscapes, these um, uh, the even static, even pink noise, certain frequencies that that would just sit above and raise everything to be on a on a on a heightened decibel level. So that not only can we remove and add sounds as we need to that base layer, we can also completely remove that layer in its entirety. And what this film does so well is that because most of it is 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 done in this in this silent or whenever uh, Regan the the deaf girl is on stage, you you get such a stark contrast and you you realize mm. that these sounds are always there, but you never hear them because you're more focused on, say, the dialogue yeah. or, or say the, um, you know, the, the, the characters and what they're saying. Um, Could you do that with noise cancelling headphones where you have a constant background noise and, well, and then you just take it away? I think what, I think that would, what that would ruin is, well, first of all, yeah. uh, if you had that, it would be difficult to, to manage, first of all, outputting high-quality audio <laughs> yeah, yeah. Of, of all that, like we're talking some private VIP headphone plugged in <laughs> manufactured theater situation. Yeah. Cav, this is maybe you like yes, it. Yeah, we yes. have as much money as you like. I'm not last trying to charge we 200 did, quid a t- <laughs> Last week, our production was was something like a hundred million dollars. That's cute, <laughs> man. I like that. But I'm saying, I think um, there's nothing like that that raw, like intimate moment. And what it, I think what it would create yeah. some kind of like some kind of artistic difference between what's happening on stage and what's happening. Cause even if someone mm. coughs in the audience, the silence is there and it's, it's already heightened. It's already, you know, we're creating yeah. a contrast, not by loudness, but by through this quietness. So in the film, they, you know, they're running around and then there'll be a really deaf bit. And then suddenly someone will do some, something, you know, that you wouldn't even think makes a noise like, or like, isn't even, even that subtle, but a creaky floor mm. sound like, oh my God, that's deafening. When they go yeah. to stream, it's like the sound, whoever, the, the, big Eric on sound, he's whacked <laughs> that right up. And what yeah. it does is it's like, it, it focuses you so much on these sounds. And that's, mm. that's the only way you would ever get that kind of level of intimacy. Because imagine yeah. you're listening through your headphones and you're putting that mic through. Even if you had, you know, the best stereo control, the best panning, as it yeah. went through the scene, it's just not the same as yeah. actually feeling like. No, I agree. Can I can I make a suggestion then for a space and also a kind of a way with that of of working around this issue of, of several locations for the set? Mm. Um, the, a space that I've been to quite a lot is um, Chichester Festival Theatre's um, Minerva Theatre, which is their sort of smaller space. It's a it's a thrust stage. Um, mm which means it's sort of three, it's sort of three quarters of the way around. Um, and it, it is about 400 seats, but because it's in thrust and those seats are in a sort of very, um, it's, it's a steep incline on the st- on the seat. Mm. So it feels mm. incredibly intimate. It, even yeah. if you're right at the back, you feel like you're sat right next to the actors. Um, and it's not a raised stage or anything. And I saw a production there of Michael Morpurgo's butterfly lion. And what they oh. did is, they covered the whole of the bottom of the stage and the back wall in in white, and then they projected images onto it um, of the different locations. And that you know that um, play, mm. you know, it, it went to Africa, it went to like Kent, and then it went to mm. like World War One to the trenches. Um, and oh, so I thought it, you meant on tour. No, no, no. Sorry, <laughs> they went to Africa and Kent on tour. It went, it went to World War One. Wow, <laughs> pretty impressive tour that. No, Get that manager hired. So, 
you know, it had all of these pretty complicated and pretty different locations to get to. Mm. Uh, and it did it all through projection. And the projection, it obviously doesn't look like, you don't look at it and go, oh, wow, that's so realistic. It, you you realize that it's stylized. But actually, if the if the environment we're creating is mostly through sound, yep. I kind of want to give as bare a space as possible and then create, you know, you can have like a projected train track down the middle of the stage. And uh, and the way they were doing it, they had like sort of six or seven projectors set up so that they were kind of getting every, everywhere from every angle. So the actors weren't causing shadows or anything over the projections um so i feel like that might be a way of doing it and it means we could do a rail track we could do a river we could in terms of the house we could have some kind of frame of a house that we build that we can sort of lower in and and bring back out again um but but using a sort of bearer stage or like rotating flats even to give like the the walls of the house because there's different rooms yeah in this uh, that are important obviously the uh, yeah not to say that we have to replicate the film one to one but the the like the the broadcasting room where he's he's spending his time the room that they yeah. prepare for the baby when it's eventually born the bath yeah. bathtub scene now that's yeah. that's hard. we're given a real good sense of location in the film yeah. yeah and you could bring on a bathtub and then be projected projecting the bathroom around even her. just spotlighting that yeah. bathtub yeah the next thing I guess then we have to talk about the natural progression how would you represent these monsters? That's an would you question. even try? That's an uh, that that is a question to come on. I was just gonna say on I was just gonna say on your sound thing. I was gonna say there has been you know there have been horror plays before, and I was just gonna mention that the woman in black. <clears throat> oh yeah, is, that's you know fantastic. arguably the most famous horror play does exactly what you described a mm. minute ago. It there is apparently I've heard never not a sound cue playing. In the entire play, right? Sounds like a hot cue lab sound. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but there is. But consider, I mean, I, I don't know if you've seen it, but it, it's it seems like it's mostly silence. Yeah. Most of those sound cues are subtle background little birds mm. and and little little things. It's you don't total one hundred percent immersion, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. So that you can create that fear. Those and that's scares. the power of this is that you get a sense of complete immersion like that but then you also have the power in your sound design to take all of it away and then that silence is so much more powerful because all of that sound has just been like ripped away from you yeah i think if we're going if we're going 100 on these sound yeah then it's without a shadow of a doubt has to be some kind of surround sound nonsense going on in this oh yeah i oh, mean because yeah. if we're yeah. if say say I think visually the monsters don't need to exist for quite some time. And when mm. they do, it can be like some, you know, some probably some dodgy strobe effect. I don't mind because it's, it's going to be the sheer noise that just creates that. Yeah. The, the, mm. All the, all the, te- well, most of the film is tense. I mean, you're sitting here on the edge of your seat, but most of it is like the tension comes from everyone's waiting to, to, to see if they've been heard. Mm. And I think that pause essentially like, the, the the tense moments you could get there with the sound design and you can have the scurrying around the back and the noises that they make and the yeah. oh, spooky well spooky. i mean what if what if mm. we kind of we begin to link this the monsters you mentioned strobe i mean what if we do link the monsters with you know they're obviously linked to sound because they that that's how they guide themselves but also the monsters are blind is the implication yeah so what well, if actually it's never it's never specifically addressed in the film no whether that that's their they also sense. seem to have the ability to turn off electricity well i was an interesting i was gonna scale. say actually is it maybe worth having that whenever the monsters come on stage like or, or would be there physically present you cut the lights and you go to yeah, blackout. Yeah, we cut to flame or something. Yeah, 
yeah. And and so you, you know, you could have like the moment I'm thinking like, well, the, the moment you mentioned where the the son dies right at the beginning, you know, you have the the dad running back to get him and then you just cut to blackout and we just hear like this deafening screech of the monster. And, and just his body being ripped apart. <laughs> yeah. oh, yes. Well, and then yes. and then and then when the lights come back on, it's you know, a year later, the audience is just left to imagine what that was. And you do the same with the, the old man who we see, you know, he we just see that yells, his wife is dead and he scene. screams. That's hilarious. And and, <laughs> and you um, see him charging up that scream like yeah <laughs> you're like yes let's go but um but that that moment you know you could have him screen you could have um i i, I forgot the character's name john krasinski you could have him pick lee. up his son mr lee mr, mr. Yeah, lee, lee abbott lee, ba- lee abbott you could have him pick up his son run off the stage and then it cuts to black and you hear the screech of the monster and the guy being torn apart again. yeah and it's yeah. like we never see the monsters we just know they're there by the sound and again like and you said fear. doing a spotlight on the the bathtub we don't have to see the monster come around the door we can just no. hear it come around the we door can hear, and, and it can just get louder. anything else yeah i have a slightly more ambitious okay. idea but oh. not too much more ambitious uh, are you thinking war i think i agree P? No, no, not Warhorse Part 2. We do Warhorse Part 2 so much Warhorse every single fucking week. It's a great... Because we keep doing kids movies. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, but what we have done rec- a very way back on in episode 2, I believe, mm. we did Attack the Block, uh. which has these kind of black, basically hoodies with eyes, um, kind of low-budget looking monster things. And... We said with them that actually we'd end up having to have it on stage because they are on in the film for so long. Mm. And I think I agree with you that these very rarely, I think only really in the last scene, do we have any real like full like face to face interaction with these mm. things. Um, and I think, I think two things. I think one, the last scene to have its full effectiveness needs something visual. Mm. Mm. And two, the way these monsters are designed, and obviously, like when we were changing to the hitter, we can actually design them however we like. But the way they're designed in the film is this really interesting kind of like um, birdie thing, and they don't look like birds at all. But what I mean by that is that they have the face and they have the kind of spinal body, yeah. but then they have these really long, spindly legs. Mm. And what we see a lot in the film is them coming round corners, yeah, and them and them scraping things and stuff moving. And we don't actually really see the a whole one ever. Yeah. And, until the, any of the yeah. time and and that's you know that's good horror technique because no one believes this made-up thing mm. being cgi on film the entire time because it's just just not what people are prepared to do in their suspension of disbelief mm. but what we can have is we could just have these long legs with long nails just being Love kind that. of handheld from off stage props a little mechanical and we can see them yeah, exactly. And we can see them come round onto the stage. They can come out from underneath the seats as if they're Whoa. coming from somewhere before we get to this thing. And even that first moment when he gets taken away on film, all you, all that's really animated is basically like two legs really quickly running across the stage. That's all you mm. see. And we could create that kind of effect of like, oh, we saw something there. Whereas if you, if I feel like if the audience is sitting there and they go, oh, they just cut to black. We didn't, there's not really anything there. Then there, there's a slight difference in kind of anticipation was if we think feel like mm. we've seen something when really we've seen very little mm. and really we haven't seen anything particularly expensive at all as well then i think that creates that extra thing and similarly with that last scene even though yeah i, I feel like we need that that full kind of frontal ability to kind of shotgun it but actually this idea that if we had 
if we had just the feet, the whole film, the whole rest of the film, we just see feet or backs or just like a side of a neck, like bits of things poking out from different stuff. Mm. That just so you have a sense of presence, but you don't have to spend loads of time and money designing something that looks vaguely realistic yeah, and yeah, really yeah. basically impossible. But then this last scene, actually, what we've been hiding this whole time, and uh, we know of people that always say, "Leave your last, your best trick until the end." to actually have some kind of fuller puppet yes, of some kind that, that, that comes on just from the wings. We don't have to actually bring it on yeah. because that suddenly we've got to work with war horsey kind of stuff. Yeah. But if we had the the feet and the neck at the same time, say, so it looks yeah. like it's really basically on the stage mm. and then it can reel back and come back on and do all that kind of stuff right at the end in a really dark way because, you know, it cuts out all the electricity yeah, exactly. and we're, we're focusing on the noise that's overwhelming. You wouldn't notice what exactly it is you're seeing. And then we can get that that shotgun effect at the end. Just that that's that one strobe, three, two, one. Get the life, <laughs> the the lifelessness. And I feel like just that extra bit of ambition above over and above. And I agree. I think we should do these blackouts, and I think we should use the sound and lack of light to hide. These or like things. go into like red light because of like the just so people can still like get some yeah. kind of sense and stuff. Yeah, yeah. What do you think about? Yeah, that? Yeah, I like that. I, I think that works, and I, I it would be about if we're leaving the the space relatively sparse it's about how do you hide those monsters within the space but i think mm. there's a way of doing it using uh like Cav was saying using like flats in quite sp- specific choice places um using using scenery that can hide things you can even have it where you bring on like the bathtub and behind the bathtub we can have hidden part of one of these puppets and then mm. um it can be spotlight on that and then as the scene progresses we see that creeping over the bathtub or something i think that works for yummy. me i think <laughs> yummy, <laughs> yummy. Yeah. Um, yummy, i think that would work really well and i think it, yeah it, it, it gives us the opportunity to make the most of the sound design and the lighting design um in order to kind of yeah you need that feeling of immersion and fear as well so i yeah. think you'd need to up the design on like the communication aspect because if the creatures are are present less visually then they need to be present more orally so you need to yeah. have like maybe different ways they communicate different screeches or different, like adding in these extra sounds just so that the audience kind of, they've got this like echo location clicks. I think the sound of them moving as well. Like, you know, little clicks of joints and things like that can, can be quite scary. Well, we kind of, you touched on it right at the top Cav, but, most of the dialogue in this is not spoken, but is done over through sign language. How how do we make that happen? Is there everyone big, get the binoculars? Yeah. <laughs> well, I was thinking about this. I was thinking like, what? <laughs> Jab a libretto? <laughs> Jab some yeah. such? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> or you could you could like leaning on artistic license. That there, there might be some way where you get it so that they say what they sign. Yeah. And and we just accept that that's just how we're going to have to get the emotion. But I, yeah. It's just not good. <laughs> I, no, the, yeah. I want another way. So tell me, tell me you two, what is the solution to this problem? So I mean, there's a thing that plays do mainstream all the time where they will f- for the benefit of deaf audiences have these screens that gets all around the country there's loads of them and they're little mm. kind of LED panels. And their audio description, they tell the audience what is being said mm. on stage, even when it is spoken dialogue. And that's what the film does, basically. The film give us gives us subtitles. I, yeah, I think it could work. It's like the same when, when we see operas in different languages, they have this really cool, like, flashy LED screen. Yeah. And my only, my only worry 
with I think that's that's the only way that's the only way to go. But my only worry with it is like you know the, the lighting, the suspension. But it could also work as in say we're in total blackout and you don't see any of the characters, <gasps> but you just see what yeah. they're intentionally yeah, signing. Yeah. It's like awesome. how sick could that, that be? Like you could build great. attention. I think is there a way that we can incorporate this into the into the design somehow? Because like you're saying, sometimes in productions this is just done on a screen, but sometimes I I, I saw a, a production, well it was, it was actually a school production that my school did where um, a couple of the characters spoke in a foreign language. And what they did is um they projected it onto the what do you what do you call the screen that's like at the front of the stage? the front like like downstage uh, yeah yeah there's no screen there that's where people have to look no 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 i mean okay it's it's like it's like when you do a screen at the back but it's they did it at the front uh psych in the wrong place so like yeah it was a psych it was a psych that's what it is no no, there's there's a lot of like musicals and stuff that will do a psych a psych quite far up so that they can do some action in front of that psych and then reveal a big set Oh, like a blackout, like a blackout. Yeah. Oh, not a blackout. A I mean, uh, you yeah, project exactly. light yeah. onto it. One, and one of those. Yeah. A gauze. That's okay. it. That's what go. I was looking for. Anyway, so my, my school production, they had a gauze because uh, yeah, I had psych in my head, but I knew it was something else. Thank you. We got that. Okay. Um, so they had a gauze and, and they projected onto that. Um, oh, I can't even remember. Maybe this was like thoroughly modern Millie or something like that. And they had this kind of like twenties design projected onto it. And so then they would bring it all the way up apart from just like one sort of tab of, of the gauze was left mm. visible at the top of the stage. And then they projected subtitles onto it that looked like silent films, which is the kind of era that they were trying to set the play in. So nice. I wonder, is there a way that nice. we can incorporate the design of the subtitles into the play? So it feels not quite organic, but as if it's part of the, the the design of the world that we're creating. Well, I think I think what you risk with that is any any gauze out the front. But it kind of just it kind of disrupts the kind of the kind of space that yeah, we're trying. Yeah, I mean, to I'm not really suggesting a gauze because that works only really with proscenium arch yeah. theaters. But yeah. I, I guess is. I mean, we're talking about projecting onto the onto the stage and onto the back. Onto like Is the there set, somewhere right, we can incorporate right. in the design in that? Way? I have two possibilities. I think. I think number one is I've been thinking about this kind of uh, grain silo, which I'm sure we'll get into later. One Yummy. idea I had for it is I like the use of um, if we could try and use a kind of stage that has a full um substage that we can properly move, you know move everything into a trapdoor that we like you know that kind of thing wow. then um we can kind of have a kind of grain floor that appears um so the one of those ones where you can kind of move things down oh, to the side cool. and something else through so you have like a grain floor and, and then they could actually sink into the ground and i'm thinking mm. if we do that I mean, it's probably quite a high stage because you've got to have that kind of height in order to create that depth and in which case we've got kind of just along the bottom along the sides of this thrust if we're doing it in the minerva i know the minerva doesn't actually do what i'm describing but we're kind of creating a our own theater here um and that along the bottom there is a kind of good place to have some kind of information. And that kind of joins up for me with, I think this film is, as you say, primarily about family, but it's got another kind of aim, I think. And that is to raise some kind of awareness and kind of bring into the public eye uh, deaf people's experiences and um, the way asl is used in uh in america uh as well mm. and so for me if we're doing a stage play um 
we could kind of buy into that. And I like this idea that, you know, if you're deaf, you normally have to watch TV and in the small little corner, you've got to watch some, some mm. bloke or some girl doing sign language in the, in the bottom mm. right corner. And this idea that actually, so like we have to have, we experience that kind of thing as well, where we do have that slight kind of distraction, but then and we build it in as much as possible. And what the reason yeah. why I was saying with the bottom of the stage is because I like the idea of if we can, if we can build it into the right sections, we can do so in such a way where wherever the audience is looking at the characters, that is where the screen lights up. So we never have to look away from the emotions of the actors' faces yeah. in order to read yeah. what they're uh, saying. Yeah, so you, I mean, so wow. to, to try and bring this sort of back into the Minerva space, because I quite like the idea of that, it, because I think there's a way of making this work in that space or that kind of space where you don't have access to a uh, a, a floor underneath the stage or anything like that. Mm. Um, I, I think that there is a way of making this work. Um, well, actually, the Minerva does have some access below, but not too, not very far. Um, but uh, yeah, I think maybe this thing where we're, we're projecting onto the stage, actually, we could project like you say, you want to have it where the actors are so we're not drawn away from them. You just project it next to where they are for the audience so that wherever we're looking, the the words are there. And, and you try and keep it subtle so that it's not like distracting from the action, but actually you keep their eyes at the actors rather than having to wander away to find the subtitles during the action. I also think where you're talking about raising awareness of... of um, you know, that experience of being deaf, actually maybe even we play a scene, maybe it's the opening scene um, where all of that communication is really obvious what they're saying. You don't need subtitles. Maybe we do a whole scene without subtitles at the beginning just to give a sense of that experience. Um, and then we bring subtitles in when when the main plot of the film is kicking in. But actually we try have a scene where the whole audience just has to experience it as if they were deaf Obviously, they don't know sign language, but yeah. as in, like, <laughs> you you see the the visual element of that communication yeah. without having to have any stabilizers to tell you how does it actually. I think work. it also adds to the tension of that opening scene because that's what happens really yeah. well in the film as well. Is the you 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 know that you realize how difficult this this theory, theoretical world you would live in would have to be. Even walking around a supermarket could be <laughs> life threatening. Mm. But I think the, mm. the main thing you're talking about awareness is now how would we how would we identify like in the film when we're viewing the story or the scene from the deaf character's perspective from right, yeah. reagan's perspective because in the well, film it's dead easy they cut all the yeah there's yeah. nothing yeah it's, yeah. it's yeah. awesome it's fantastic but i guess in in stage you can't have that and my my well, only well you you could risk it but i wouldn't want to risk it and i think i would never let i would never leave any sound design in the audience's hands and I would, I would change it so that instead of we get silence, we get just like a high ringing frequency noise or something, I think that something works. that just, or, how does or, that or work? Or the sounds are, you could, could you do it where, cause so, obviously some deafness is, is on a spectrum. Could you have it where it's all the sounds are, are muffled to the yeah, point where you yeah, couldn't, muffled, you yeah. wouldn't know what they are. Um, so where we've got like a, and, and again, that would be in the design, having really clean, crisp sounds. Mm. And then you just put like, you just muffle them to the point where you're like, I don't even, this is just noise. I don't know what this yeah. is. And that, and that's a, a contrast you could show. Yeah. I like the idea or, of the, yeah. the deaf, her normal deaf kind of experience that we experience being something low and distorted or yeah. uh, so that we have that something contrast, that like can identify pitch. it. Yeah. 
but with we, have, we just need that contrast. Them. We need that contrast with the high pitch for that kind of the what I might call the attack noise, the noise that actually yeah, sends sure, off yeah. the aliens. Because if we hear yeah. her hear that high pitch noise the whole time, then what are we going to get bring when the aliens come in? Yeah, true. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I meant to say. Sorry, I meant to say about the 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 silo, the the corn silo. Mm. When because you said about bringing it up, I wonder actually could we lower it down and then you get you could have. Um, a panel on the side of it or something like that if you're lowering it down from above you could have all like if you you make the wires like visibly thick so that we get the sense of the sides of the silo as well when you lower yeah, it down yeah i like that idea as well because that means that actually he can fall into it and we can see him fall into it yeah um yeah which would be really cool i was just going to say with the um you said doing that first scene as well without the subtitles we could have mm. some kind of moment where they begin to generate power because they're only about a month or so in when we see that first scene. But at some point between then and the rest of the film, they must have found some way of kind of generating power and creating this like red and orange signaling system that they have as well. Um, and we could have yeah. it so that when power becomes generated, that's when we begin to understand what they're saying. Oh, cool, cool. The subtitles. Yeah, well, you were talking, I like you were that, talking yeah. just running a few few minutes behind it, the, uh, the subtitles right. you were talking about. Uh, but you, we've already talked about how we would have projections as part of the set. Mm. I, I, I only wonder where sometimes you want that bluntness, you know, you want that it's there at the bottom of the stage, you know, where it is. And it, it yeah. you don't, you don't, what you don't want is for it to become a cool feature. You want to be like, Oh, look at that. Oh, the subtitles now over there. Oh, look, it's yeah, on the yeah, ceiling. Yeah. What? Like, I, I, I guess it, maybe it's just about, you know, when, they're downstage you have them you know or when yeah when the actors are downstage you have it projected along the bottom of the mm. stage and then when they're further upstage you have it projected yeah, along the back, the back, back wall yeah, or yeah, something, something like something that but yeah no I, I agree you don't want it to feel like you know you're watching like a music lyrics <laughs> video or something <laughs> jason <laughs> like moraz just <laughs> yeah. postcards fly across the stage we could find this five line version as well that's honestly i was just about to yeah. say Pushing, yeah, yeah. pushing so much of this so that there's, you just, it's just all done through like gestures and communication. And some, some scenes yeah. that would definitely work, but it depends how, what artistic direction you want to take it. Because if you want to focus more on um, like highlighting the deaf experience and the deaf individual, you can do that. But if you want to take it more mm. on the, the parenting route and like the emotions that these, these parents are feeling, bringing up these kids in this apocalypse world, or if you want to go down the emptiness yeah. route, if we really want to capitalize on this, this soundscape, this, this, you know, creepy highlighted, weird, distorted kind of dystopian world through sound, then the less, I yeah. mean, the less there is the better. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think as well, that, that sense of emptiness within the world and, and and it all being around sound as well fits with this time watching this is I think my third time watching the film the thing that struck me is it's about family and it's about parenting but what it's really about is that universal um experience of grief oh, and, yeah. and you know they've well, lost the their son yeah Thanks, and they've, they've lost their son <laughs> and, and <laughs> well and 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 each of them is experiencing grief in a different way um, you know, Regan, the daughter, is experiencing it through this sense of guilt. Um, as she should. Sorry, as no, she should. <laughs> you go hard. Well, I'm just saying, you. like in a, a post-apocalyptic <laughs> world. Um, and 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 Lee, the way he kind of experiences it in, is in this sort of stoic sort of anger. We're gonna fix everything. We're gonna yeah. And everyone. and then and then Evelyn, it's a it's a more visible 
uh, emotional response. Uh-huh. And I think actually bringing that sense of, like you say, emptiness, starkness uh, in a sort of minimalist set and, and a reliance on sound design um, will get, I think will heighten that sense of grief and the way that the different characters are experiencing grief and also place an emphasis on the actors and, you know, pushing the work onto them to, to, to communicate that grief. And like we say, trying to cut the dialogue as much yeah. as possible, cut how much we need to sign language, you know, um, subtitle the sign language as much as possible. Again, it's about that feeling, that sense of communication breaks down because of grief and that and bringing that theme to the forefront as well. How they can't even express their emotions in the way that they might necessarily want to as well, I think. Because they don't have words. That's crazy. Yeah, yeah ex- that's it. Absolutely Limiting. it. Yeah. Love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, there are two more moments, I think, of kind of, of sound that are very specific at the beginning and the kind of reason why I came up with the headphone idea it actually and i wonder how we deal with those in a non-headphone space one is um the moment where she listens to the hobby of her baby where she uses the stethoscope oh and mm. the other is the moment where they put a headphone in each ear at the the, the parents and they dance together oh it's it, on it, in the, if we're creating this complete surround like diegetic versus non-diegetic mm. well it's, it's going to be completely diegetic all the all these sounds but it's it, just like they do in the film really it's like when the headphone goes in, it's just you you amp it up and you can play it through. And you, it might be boomy in the space, but it's it's how you would play it and how you would contrast it with different sounds going on. Mm. I think the it's same with the heartbeat of the baby. You see the stethoscope going in and you just you just raise it up. And if you pump it all around, because what we're trying to do here is is within the soundscape, we have this surround sound, right? So yeah. any any unnatural sound, any digest that things that you can't actually hear just pump it all around and and your audience will get the sense that this is not Mm. like this is just something you're hearing everywhere whereas if you contrast it with yeah if that makes sense like right directional sounds yeah yeah, yeah, basically if we got that direction we got that scope there's no there's no need i i thought you were going to mention the um that you know the fire lantern Mm. Because when that, that when yeah. that sounds, boy, that is some that's some loud lantern. But that you <laughs> want to you want to feel directional. So if they're if yeah, they're absolutely. like hitting it over like downstage right, you want to feel yeah. like the sound is yeah. coming from there. But it's yeah. it's such a shock because they're you know it's they're having a nice little scene, they're in the house, and then suddenly the energy just needs to switch. It just needs yeah. to be running, yeah. and that's where the, the quiet hits you get yeah. that dynamic hit and then you get the you get the subtlety you get the the noises the communication coming from around you and get the suspense would, would you be able to create a sense of you know with that surround sound and the, the sort of directional pushing of sound to different areas would you be able to get the sense of a creature crawling across the ceiling oh, like easy. from one side to the other easy well it depends how many speakers you had but if yeah if obviously allowing me to have a hundred million dollars one hundred million <laughs> speakers then boy i'm getting one like, in everyone's i'm getting seat. like 50 <laughs> genulex and the whole speaker is going to be like a sound cube and yeah just gonna, <laughs> well the way the way i was kind of imagining it is is last year at the fringe there was a venue called the roundhouse which has also been touring um mm. was it called the roundhouse jake where canary in the crow was uh i think it was something slightly different because the roundhouse is a different theater but yeah i, I thought it was okay well yeah no, was, i think it was it was it must have been yeah so and it also toured and it's basically like this sort of big top looking thing and it was in the round um and they could just like pick it up and take it anywhere they wanted but they had it at the fringe and the the lighting for that was that they had this sort oh. of hexagonal or octagonal um like 
ceiling full of LED lights that Whoa. each one was trained on a very specific part of the stage so that any color any intensity any yeah Whoa. any color any intensity and they could just pick okay this little pinpoint of the stage I'm going to make it that light and I'm going to make it that intensity and I'm going to make it that color for this amount of time and they had I mean you I think you totaled it up Jake but it was it was something like 300 lights or something like that or yeah, around I that count. I can't remember what I came yeah, to, yeah. And, and I I'm, I guess I'm imagining that but for the sound design and that control that, that, and that kind power. of specificity yeah, yeah i mean because there's software that's inbuilt obviously there's you know if you if you talk about left and right stereo panning there's so many different ways and different binaural processes but in an actual cubed area if you've got complete surround sound control you can just calculate you know the different dead spots where you're projecting the sound and there's computer programs that that will create a synthetic sound environment that is so and you get cool. it for like you get it for like <laughs> like the imax like the the yeah. imax surround sound what a huge space but like everything has to be calculated and like it's just about levels coming from each speaker and the clarity coming from each speaker and it's just I mean, it would take some thinking and every sound cue would have to be so like organically engineered. Like you'd have to have everything moving. You could never mm. have one I thing. I mean, you're, you're treating it as, yeah. as cinematic sound, yes, aren't you? Exactly, and, and, exactly. But that is, I, that's the, what is, you know, that is the most cinematic element of this film. That's the most and important And it'll be the selling point of this show as well. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, yeah. Have a, an, a neural experience. I was going to say, I was just going to ask, this is a really bad question. <laughs> that though that thing that they always have in movies where you can point like a cat like a kind of sound gun at someone and only they can hear something is that real can you actually do yeah that? yeah so but if all that is is basically it's just you know your ear i do know my ear you do know your ear <laughs> you may you may know other people's ears but you know that, that <clears throat> have you ever tried just like increasing your ear with your hand to like hear something right yes yeah you're trying to imagine that, that yeah, you're creating but, like an Little, in, the, yeah. in, the, in the round and and obviously I, I think it's to do with something that they 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 must transmit something and receive it but it's it's a glorified ear with a really sensitive microphone right okay interesting so imagine, really imagine interesting. you just like you turned up your ear power and pointed it at something because i wonder yeah. if i just wonder if there's some way of having it so that only some audience members can hear something and then it can't, where it like almost sweeps across them. We can always have like a jump scare that kind yeah. of does a Mexican wave or something, you know, something oh, like that. Oh, wow. So something really intimate, like creating dead spots. Because, you know, like sound, if you, if you operate two speakers positioned apart, there will there, mm. when the sound waves cross, they interfere, they cut out all the sound. So like right, yeah. if you've got really bad, um, you know, PA system set up, uh, you'll actually <clears> have people in the audience who can't hear anything or like what they hear is completely muted. Mm. Uh, you could, mm -hmm. if you're really particular about it, calculate these positions in the audience and just, just screw people over. <laughs> just like, I'm, like, I'm just like, like really no sound, like they can't hear and then bang, like you could just explode. Yeah. Like, but so is there a way you could do purposely engineered dead spots where there, oh, yeah, you, yeah. you know, you take, you play two speakers to create a dead spot for one moment, but then also like you would then take one out for the rest yeah, of the play so yeah. that they can hear in that area for the rest. Of yeah. The time. It would obviously take such intimate amounts of, of speaker measurement and yeah. um, sound wave. And also the types of speakers they, they have like different, it's like spread almost. So like yeah. different, different speakers have uh, different frequency peaks, yada bing, yada bong. Um, but it's almost like, imagine it was like one big microwave. Mm. You know, you like microwaves, microwaves, microwave, 
I'm saying microwave the word over again, but in different contexts. Like you <laughs> as microwaves to heat up your food, but yeah. there's actually different dead spots where the, the microwave interferes. Right, why it has to spin, right? Which is yeah. why it has to spin. Yeah. So imagine oh, we're putting yeah. well, it, it, instead of microwaves, we're we're doing sound waves, and you could almost generate if you had this many speakers, you could just turn some off, turn some on, and mm. it would almost create this synthetic. Um, dead spots, live spots, kind of thing. You have to be careful because sometimes it can get quite dangerous when you're amplifying two speakers. Because as you would have two two points where they cancel out, you'd have points where they would amplify and double in. <laughs> so we could, you know, like yeah. Deafen- yes. which is not. <laughs> I hate to, you know, I hate to pull the health and safety card here. But, um, <laughs> we just have to yeah. think. We just, we, we just have to think about it. As all. we have unlimited but, budget, but we do have to think about yeah, health and yeah. safety. But I, I, I guess, I guess if this is how we would go so full on in this sound experience. Yeah. It's, mm. it's almost like, you know, it, it, it might even get to the point where different seats have different price points because you'd have so much more, like if we'd really designing that, like, yeah. cause it would have yeah. to be totally. In well, the they round. already do totally visually. Control. So why yeah. not? That why would not be different, so, and wouldn't that be samples? so interesting yeah. where actually and, like your back row is actually your most expensive seats because that's yeah. where the sound is best. Or or like something. Wherever, be, wherever you want to point it. I think the yeah. one thing, the one thing more that we can add to this is not only the, or the, uh, the auditory sense of sound, but we're talking physical, like vibration, mm. like, and I'm not talking like 4D cinema seats where you know there's like a little buzzer in the back that just you know gives your back an ache. Just, bzz. I'm talking like we could actually reverberate low frequency noises. Yeah, and have what what because in the deaf experience as well. I mean, I'm not deaf, so I don't know this, but there's there's loads of fantastic documentaries about um, musicians who who listen to music by just putting their hands on a large reverberated space yeah. or they, they feel and I feel like we could amplify the physicality of the sound rather than the auditory aspect for um Regan the deaf character but also yeah. when things just go totally able and totally crazy yeah. that's like really yeah really our, our family we've had we bought like a as a, a speaker set for our um tv a while back that had a subwoofer and then the subwoofer we thought it broken and then we finally fixed it again recently and the first one we watched was 1917 which just oh, like boom. blasts you with like boom. low noise all the way through all, and it yeah. was just such a weird experience because we were just like they're like shaking in our seats from the yeah. sound experience really, as well as yeah. the visual yeah wow I was going to say the only other play I know of where the seats at the back are the most expensive is train spotting live because it's where you can guarantee you're not going to get sprayed with shit, (laughs) (laughs) Um, which is fun. Speaking of health and safety, actually, um, fireworks. Yeah. Oh, boo. We want want pyro though, right? (laughs) We We do want actual. So we have this scene basically where the mum is giving birth. I'm sorry, I don't remember the names. They're not actually said in the film. Evelyn, the mom, Evelyn, it, Evelyn, doing up scream, scream, um, having a baby. She's, she's trying not to scream, um, and but they, she, she somehow alerts with the red light. Somehow alerts the others outside that this is happening and that there's there's uh, creatures in the house, and so the little boy is sent to go and set off the rockets, like the rocket at the beginning of the film where, he, where the, the child that dies says, rockets will, will get us out of here. And it's these rockets, these fireworks. That nice emotional moment, to, yeah. Yeah, are going to save her life. Um, and so he runs, I assume, off stage. And then at some point, a few minutes later, we have to hear some fireworks that yeah. are louder than her scream so that the aliens are distracted. Mm. What do we think about that moment? I like, mean, it's got, I'm just, I just see it now. I won't have it any other way. I'm picturing like 
the spotlight, you're having the spotlight, the bathtub on stage, right? Mm. And you have the light and you have the light flickering because the creature's like nearly close, nearly close. Mm. And then and we just, see the thing. And you see the thing and then you just cut all sound and you just blast fireworks. Like you, you hear, you see her on stage, like screaming, but you can't hear it. Yeah. Because like it's too loud or you're, you, you're kind of in a weird way. We personify the monsters and you kind of become the monsters in, in this auditory and space. All you, you can, can only hear, hear the fireworks. Yeah. And That's it just goes so red and she, well, she's giving birth. It's, it's horrible. It's like oh, a oh, crazy what, what we uh, Before that, just before that happens, we think that she is screaming. We hear her going like, yeah. but it's not her screaming. It's the hiss, the, the screaming noise that fireworks make before they go yeah. off. Yeah. Wow. And I was thinking in, so in, ter- cool. in terms of pyro, <laughs> That was really accurate, Jake. That was, yeah, that was dead <laughs> I always I always think of very specific moments. <laughs> we'll, just, we'll just record that and amplify and, it for the sound design. Audio. And I was thinking instead of like pyro that is emphasis on explosion, well, you can do that all through the sound. And actually instead we have the, the ones that like go along a wire and you see the, the yeah. light spread across the stage instead. And you get that sense of movement of the fireworks as you get the sound space completely change as well. Wow. Yeah. Um, I think that that would be quite cool. That'd be such a good very, moment. Very such cool. a cool moment. Wow. Yeah. Just like, and with the, and the, with the, the low the rumble on the, noises, on the, the oh, rumbling, And then it just builds and then it peaks and then silence and then, and she's just screaming on stage <laughs> right when are we crowdfunding this <laughs> we, we did a kickstart for a hundred million dollars million dollars so um, yeah, what we've got what we've actually got is we've got chicken run next door to dinosaur next door to uh this all yeah. in one kind of big wow. event, eventatorium <laughs> those are the last couple of things we did cab um amazing okay i mean the other yeah. huge set piece moment then is this moment in the basement where the water is flooding? Oh my oh god! Man, I forgot about that. <laughs> that's, um, that's and in fact, the, where there's actually two w- w- big water movement mo- moments, and they both yeah. involve the fact that the water movement is louder than talking. Yeah. Which is that moment where there's like a waterfall, and she steps behind it so the alien can't yeah. hear the baby crying. Yeah. Which is which echoes the moment about 20 minutes earlier, where the dad and the son go to an actual real life waterfall yeah. and just scream, scream into it because <laughs> so, they suddenly yeah. have this freedom. I mean, this what is a risky move. <laughs> this, this is quite possible because I saw a, a production of Fiddler on the Roof at Chichester Festival Theatre a Whoa, couple of years ago. And uh, right at the end, they had a waterfall on, on stage. And not only did they have a waterfall, they then projected images of uh jewish russian refugees onto the waterfall which was amazing um and it was such a powerful way to end that production um but i think that you can use that the way they did it if i'm not mistaken is is essentially you set it up so that you have almost like it's like a machine that just does a a direct like the the like a a bar of water drops in and then it loops straight back up and you can just pop that at the back of the stage and have that it as part of the set always yeah, um, and that's yeah, and and the usefulness of it being thrust is that the actors wouldn't need to go back there often because we want them right in the action in the intimate space. Yeah. So it's only in those moments with with the waterfall that they would be that far up stage anyway. Yeah, and also I know we can flood the bottom of the stage because I don't really know how they did it because I never actually managed to find out. But um, over last summer there was a production of um, Ibsen's Rosmaholm mm. on uh, in the West End, and right at the end of that essentially the river that is supposed to be running alongside the house that is on stage floods and the whole stage completely floods. really yeah um 
That, I mean, and... Ch- Chichester did Alan Akebourne's Way Upstream, which is all set on a canal boat, and they had the, their whole stage. That was in the main theatre, but their whole stage was a canal. And, wow. and then a canal boat on a mechanical arm inside it. So yeah, I think what we're saying really is that um, water is no issue at all. In no, the we can <laughs> so do whatever the fuck we like. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, think, I, yeah. Well, the scariest part for me in that film was when she sees her babies out in the open and the creature goes under the water. It butters. She has to tread through that water, not mm. kick the creature and also not make a noise. Yeah. But, and then but the way she picks up the baby, it comes out the water. The way we it's like crazy. the water it's, as well crazy. is that you won't, you can light it so we can't see into the water and oh, yeah. so because you'll be lighting directly from above and so you can have like jake was talking about earlier you can can have moments where just the head of the puppet of this monster yeah. is just popping out of the water yeah. and we're just catching glimpses of it across the stage and we have no that idea is... where it is that is yeah that's uh, that would be terrifying very cool very cool and then she can just step behind like she can actually step behind that waterfall and we can just recreate yeah. that like yeah and then and then I don't know how you're going to do that scene change from that flooded stage to the grain (laughs) silo. (laughs) Well, maybe as the grain silo is lowering down from above... Uh, you just have a big plug hole in the middle of the stage. (laughs) The monster just waits for the scene change. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's when we go to the interval somehow. We just, you know, stretch it out. Well, no, can we see see both at once? Because those two scenes affect each other. The noise that is made when the door falls into the silo is what distracts the alien away from her. So actually, can we keep that moment on stage see it creeping slowly towards her? And then above, we see him fall into this grain, grain pit and we try and somehow see both at the same time i mean is there a way of possibly of having yeah having that grain thing on wires and having the actors up in it sort of 10 feet above the main stage or something like that exactly exactly yeah Yikes. yeah and health so and safety kind of questions arising <laughs> but i think it does work yeah yeah, yeah. well actually that's that's the, the the that part in the film when they somehow get out of the silo but it's just not at all explained how they get out of there but we don't have to explain <laughs> but, it either, either yeah so no we don't um, th- there is, I think, maybe one more moment that I think we need to cover, um, which is the father's death um, at the yes. end. Oh, man. Absolutely. Um, which is the, the kids have been uh, running from the creatures. So the son knocked himself out on a tractor wheel or something. And then Regan <laughs> finds him. You make him sound so dumb. <laughs> I mean, yeah. that kid is pretty, it was, kid a, is pretty it was dumb. quite a dumb decision. <laughs> He's just yeah. running, of, looking of running from these deaf monsters. He has his pay. Well, also he runs into the wheat fields when Which he knows makes that noise. that makes more oh, noise. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyway. anyway, so Regan finds him. They're trying to hide from the monsters. They climb into a, a pickup truck, which is, I, I think it's purposefully set up so that it doesn't need to make noise. They can just pull the handbrake and it, and it rolls back to the house. Yeah, yeah, we see him practicing the move. Yeah, yeah. Earlier yeah. On, old, old Chekhov's handbrake. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. and um, Chekhov's handbrake. That's famously. <laughs> I think it's Chekhov's cochlear implant. Actually, <laughs> Chekhov's cochlear implant. Excellent. <laughs> Bravo. Um, so yeah, so they get in the pickup truck, and then the the creature, the alien, is jumps on the pickup truck and is attacking them. And uh, John Krasinski has been like he's kind of bleeding out of his stomach, and he's there. Yeah, he's the been only thing up. Yeah, and the only thing that's left for him to do is to, you know, sign to his daughter that he loves her and then to just scream like the man did earlier. He, and oh, he, he doesn't quite charge up the scream as much, but there's some charge up. There's, <laughs> there's some um, emotional charge. And, you and know, the creature goes for him, yeah. So when I was re-watching it this time, I was like just kind of 
scrolling through the film because I didn't have time to watch the whole thing. And um, and I got to that moment and I, I decided I'm, I'm going to watch the whole of this scene. And I oh, sat and watched it and I was like, scene, even man. having scrolled through the film beforehand, it still was like affecting me emotionally. I was like, oh man, this is that powerful is stuff. Because he, he, he doesn't even try and fight. He drops the axe and mm. turns to her and is like, he just signs it. I, lo- I love you. I will. I have always loved you. And then yeah. just... Yeah. I know, yeah. yeah, and that performance from John Krasinski as well is yeah. is very that, good. Oh, the whole, all the actors. Yeah, it's a great cast. And you know what? I think the cast, you could probably get the same cast back for a stage show. I'm down. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> well, just increase the budget. <laughs> but that's I think em- Emily Blunt would probably be the only one we can't afford, realistically. Yeah. So, <laughs> But hang on, going back to yeah, this. Yeah, sorry, going back to that set piece. Yeah, yeah. How are we doing this? Are we bringing a truck on stage? Are we, what are we doing here? What's the plan? I think, can we think of something that's not a truck? Yes, I think yeah. it has to be something else. But it can, we, there's many other, you know, it could be I like... Mean, can, can it be that they, the way they got out of the silo, maybe we even give them a way of getting out of the silo, is they use the door to form a ramp down and then the alien attacks them again and it's on top of them with them holding the door? Although then we're showing the alien a lot earlier than we wanted to. I don't know, it could be, it could be like... Um, well, actually, this death, this death, it, it it depends what like what kind of viewpoint we we obviously need the yeah. terror. We need we need the sense of immediate danger. So I think yeah. trying to do it without showing the a, the alien is a bit it's a bit risky. We need That's some true, kind yeah. of either either through through audio cue or through like visual cue. Like almost like they're trying to break down a door. The aliens trying to break down a door of some kind. You could mm. see like you could just see dents being made in the door or, or something like I. I that would probably take some thinking, but the, the main thing I'm kind of thinking about right now is what would the death sound? Would you have the death silent? Would you have like from her perspective? So it's all just like a raw moment or would you just have the sound of like his flesh being te- torn apart? Yeah. Or, or even if it's, you see him sign, he starts to scream and it goes silent. And yeah. then we get the, the noise comes back in the moment the creature reaches him or yeah. something like that. Yeah. Um, really playing with that, the, the, the sound there. Yeah. I am still, yeah. I, I think that that's interesting. I'm still, I, I have no idea how to physically represent I this on stage. I have an idea. Okay. Go for it. In the film and in many films, the kind of season of summer, kind of very hot summer is used to create a kind of a oppressive film on camera, mm. um, a oppressive feeling rather on camera. And that's something that's quite hard to achieve in, in the theatre, in fact, if you if you use kind of warm tones, you tend to create a warm feeling. And they are tight-knit family, and you can do that some of the time. But I wonder if we do it such that they're maybe in a slightly more northern state than they're supposed to be in in this film. And we're in uh, winter. And so, mm. actually, we make everything a bit more cold and a bit more kind of frosty and wrapped up than it is in the film. Mm. And then this moment, what they've actually got set up is that some kind of... I mean, not sled would be too fun, but some kind of sliding <laughs> down the hill kind of contraption set up that yeah. is some kind of, so that we can have a kind of, I guess you said, maybe they can use the silo door, something for it to bash against. Um, even if, I mean, even the, my problem with the car really is just its kind of size and the fact that we won't have introduced it till the end. But if it's some yeah. kind of like go-kart thing with a kind of hood, some or something that, yeah, something that makes use of ice, something that makes use of... Um, I even, I don't oh, know, it could even be a like... boat. It could even be a boat on the river. Because not that we want to flood the stage again, but I mean, like, 
if we've already... I think, we, I think the like, only thing harder than a car is a boat. <laughs> no, but like, you don't have to show... Well, you could just drag a boat off stage. I mean, like, or like some kind of vessel. Or mm. I think that's the only thing that would make sense if we don't have the hill. Because running yeah. in water, it's like, it could just go off stage. You can build a, a ramp up the back of the stage or, or like one of the sides of the stage. Yeah, maybe. And they could just go over the hill. Like, you don't have to see... Them. oh yeah i didn't even you know think i mean like they could just like leave yeah <laughs> they could just yeah. run away and, well and the great thing about this projected space because when i saw butterfly line the back of the stage did have a, a slight bank to it mm. um but you don't notice the bank at all times because it depends on what yeah. they're projecting onto it so you could have a bank that the audience don't even necessarily notice until the moment where it's being used in in action mm. which would be them sledding yeah either yeah probably off stage and we we see them leaving uh, as the dad screams so then maybe it is the way that the way that they're defending themselves from the monster is using the silo door and then they're sat on the sled yeah maybe that's the way we do it yeah or or maybe <laughs> the monster falls into a trap and it's about to get out the trap because i'm trying to think Ooh. we realistically like, those fish, like the fish things they have earlier yeah but realistically those two children would not be able to fight off the monster no, that's true. Door with, for, with, for any amount of time. Like, like yeah. some big shield. No. <laughs> so I think having it so that the dad, ha like he's under time constraints, this mm. monster's about to, like you get this nice moment where they, they've, oh, they, we've trapped the monster successfully. And it yeah. can even be like highlighted in their little hunting trip. Like this is like for an, um, uh, like the emergency purposes, they like walk around it or whatever. Yeah. And it trap and they're like, oh my God, we got it. And then like, oh shit, can't hold it. Oh, we, we're totally screwed. Drop the ax. I've always loved you. Ah, death. Yeah. That also removes the bit that I kind of don't like about that scene, which is that she kind of kills him by not realizing that her turning yeah. off her earpiece Yet again, it murdering another member. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas in this case, maybe she turns it off because she thinks they're safe. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and, wow. Elite. And so, and so and screenplay. Yeah. Well, just, just because, <laughs> just, just, because, just because the, the, I just, I, yeah. I mean, the point is she hasn't figured out, she hasn't figured out that that's, yeah, yeah. That, that she's turning yeah. on scares yeah. the monsters, which is yeah. bad. Um, to be fair to her, she, she doesn't, she's not actively murdering her father. Yes. True. Sorry. I should not be so harsh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I think that that, yeah, I think that that would, would solve that, that problem. Awesome. That's an awesome way right. to spin that. Yeah. Nice. Oh, I think we've done okay. it. I think, I, I think I think we're there. I think we're there. I think I think, I think there's the, there's there's little bits in the maze that maybe we did to work out, but I think it's just a case of direction and, and making it more static. Yeah. And they're not too worth discussing. I think but I think we have again, I think we just have something that would it would be a really great experience. It would be a good experience. Mm. It would mm. be a good experience. I mean the the if it was done properly and if we had that two hundred million dollars to buy all those fancy <laughs> speakers and to flood the stage and still not sure about the silo hanging from the ceiling, but we'll work that one out. <laughs> Delicious. Wow. Okay. Nice. Cav. Thank you so much. That has been. Thank you. I've, I've, you know what? I came, I came on here thinking, what an awful idea. Why have I picked this film? And now it's actually kind of come into some kind of fruition. So thank, thanks for thanks for that. Have faith, and I and come on again and give us something more challenging because that was easy. Really. Oh, yeah. <laughs> easy. Oh wow. Good concepts though. Good concepts. Cav, is there anything you're up to that you want to plug? Do you want to tell us how people can find you on the internet? You got any um, songs out? Tell us about it. I have it all, but I think the the main important thing is I'm starting uh, live streaming on Twitch. Just some uh, 
Woo. Not not just as much sound stuff, just some some video game stuff, and of course my YouTube. You can check everything out at Cav Crossley. It's everything is Cav Crossley. My Twitter, my Instagram, my YouTube. I've made it so that it's very easy for you to find. But yeah, you can you can find me out. Uh, I'll definitely be back on. You won't get rid of me this easily. We've no, got a lot absolutely not. I mean, we have you on every episode for the theme tune, but apart from oh, that, yeah, of course. we get you to play it live, obviously. <laughs> yeah, I'm just in a, in a corner on the Zoom call. Love that. That'd be amazing. That, that's actually how we did that. Anyway, Caleb, can people find you on the internet anywhere, perhaps? They can, actually, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, at Caleb Lebster, C-A-L-E-B-L-E-B-S-T-E-R. Um, Jake, wh- where are you online? Well, Caleb, I am at Jake Reesh on Twitter and Letterboxd. That's J-A-K-E-R-E-E-S-H. And we are Maybe You Like It Productions and this is the Maybe You Like It podcast. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Maybe You Like It. That's with the letter U. Or on Facebook at Maybe You Like It Productions. That's with the word U. Or you can visit our website, which is www.maybeyoulikeit.co.uk or drop us an email at info at maybeyoulikeit.co.uk where you can find lots of information about us and what we're going to be doing very soon and if you do like this podcast if you like cav then drop (laughs) us a review somewhere tell your friends about us um because we love to to listen hear from you and have you listen that's that makes sense doesn't it no probably doesn't you can trim around that i'm sure in the edit so uh definitely not gonna leave it then anyway uh, (laughs) (laughs) fantastic either way maybe you like that Maybe you didn't. What a good film. Thank you very much. That was a Maybe You Like It production. Maybe you liked it. Maybe you didn't.